Welcome to Ripstop on the Record, the podcast for makers, by makers, where we talk about all things MYOG. Brought to you by Ripstop by the Roll. I think it's good, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that was a good take. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Avery. And I'm Jameson. When you're done listening to this episode, you're going to know where to start on how to make apparel. We're picking the brain of the two most prolific makers we know. So we did this episode uh, for everyone listening, but also I kind of needed a kick in the pants to get going on apparel. I've been thinking about it for a really long time and I have ideas and I have big ideas, but something's been holding me back. So Francesca and Delaney, who are our guests and we'll intro a little bit later, help me out and uh, give me some really big tips and techniques and and tricks to get going on, on how to get started. We talk about popular techniques, how to find a pattern, and favorite technical apparel fabrics. So let's have a few other updates here. Uh, The big one is that we are releasing our first sewing machine. The Singer HD4411 is our machine of choice, and it's going to be released on September 26th. And we're so excited that we're giving one away for free. If you want to win one of these do-it-all machines... Follow the link in the description and see how you can win starting Monday, August 18th until Sunday, August 24th. It's super easy and simple. Click the link in the show notes and go sign up to win one of the sewing machines. Final update. One of our favorite fabrics is getting a revamp. I'm going to keep this fairly vague for now because it's still about a month away, but I'll say this. Uh, It's kind of stretchy and it's getting an eco makeover. So let that mull over in your brain, figure it out, but soon we'll have a really fun release for you all um, that we're really stoked about here in the office. Awesome, let's get to the episode. Today joining us, we have two extremely skilled seamstresses, Francesca Hall and Delaney Dangerfield, all the way from Salt Lake City, Utah. Delaney is a dynamic apparel maker, and I don't think there's anything that she hasn't made, from rompers to dresses and swimwear to intimates. There really isn't a fabric she hasn't worked with. Delaney opened Salt Lake Society in 2020, and it supplies fabric and notions and also functions as a makerspace where she hosts sewing workshops. Welcome, Delaney. And thanks for having me. And we also have Francesca. She's a middle school math teacher and a doctoral doctoral candidate. Did I say that right? Yes. <laughs> Clearly, you're the one getting the candidacy <laughs> and not me. Um, Francesca is an inspiring maker who posts her daily DIY teaching outfits and also teaches classes at Salt Lake Society. And she also happens to be one of our maker sponsors this year. Welcome. Thanks for having me back. Of course. So I want to jump in to the very first question here. And we'll start with you, Francesca. What was the canon event that led you to sewing? So I started sewing in the summer of 2020 with gear because lead times were super high for a lot of the custom gear things that my partner and I wanted. Um, And so the first thing that I made was an Apex quilt 
Um, and I still, I found the notes a few weeks ago and I literally wrote rip stop by the roll question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so that was the first thing that I sewed. And then later that year, um, I started dabbling in apparel. Um, I was using like simplicity fab, uh, patterns that I found at Joann's did not have a lot of success with those. Um, and probably around the time that Delaney opened Salt Lake Society is when I, also kind of discovered the indie sewing community. Um, and so I've been making gear and apparel hand in hand since 2020. Nice. Thanks for sharing your, your journey. And I know that we've said this probably a hundred times now on the podcast, but there really is a, I don't know what we would coin them like Gen Zers, millennials, but there really is a group of people who learned how to sew during COVID. So like, the COVID babies basically, but <laughs> right. But don't group us in with the Gen Z. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what about you Delaney? How did you get into sewing? Oh gosh. When I was nine or 10, I got this idea that I was going to be a designer and live in Paris. Um, and then kind of realized that that probably wasn't a realistic expectation, but kept kind of sewing as a closet hobby throughout middle school and high school. Uh, and then I actually discovered the indie sewing community in 2020 um in like may of that year i want to say and then by october i had decided to open salt lake society and teach classes there so it has been three years now coming up um and just lots of you know apparel making and dabbling in gear making starting i think kind of this year actually earlier this year so we had actually said right before we started recording that delaney kind of inspired me to get more into apparel sewing and, and Francesca's the one that like truly motivated me to sew my own gear a year ago. I was like, I would never do that. <laughs> Here we are. It's like a freaky Friday. You guys just swapped sewing hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we just share. Yeah. We're yeah. still both doing both. <laughs> yeah. It is funny how I haven't figured out what it is yet, but people that make apparel feel really scared by gear from what I've heard. And some people are like, or they've only maybe done a pair more. And, and I'm personally in the opposite camp where like, I have no problem making a backpack or like, I just made a tarp, but like a pair of shorts, I've been putting it off for over a year. I'm just like, I'm like, I'm not going to make it happen. Like, I'm just going to look, you know, not like I live in a good place. If I walk around in those, like, this is not <laughs> going to be good. Um, but I don't know, like that's, I'm already off topic. Sorry, Avery, for that. But like, what do you think that is about? Because both of you have been on both sides of like from going from gear to apparel and apparel to gear. How does that hit you? Like, what what do you think that is? Or what do you think the difference is? Why why people are maybe uh, apprehensive about jumping into either camp? I can speak from the going from gear to apparel because that terrified me. And it was not a good transition. Um, Because my first gear make, while funky, was functional. Like, it, I used that same apex quilt with all of the seams that were f- coming apart for the last three years. And like, it kept me warm in the back country. Um, but the first shirt that I made, I could not lift my arms. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that it's like, from my perspective, moving from gear making into apparel, it's, there's, it's a lot harder to figure out how to fit a body, or at least it feels like it is harder to fit a body. Um, and then it's a lot harder to kind of pretend 
at it, like fake it, like pretend it works. Because if yeah, you're walking yeah. around and you can't lift your arms all day, like <laughs> it's pretty obvious that what you made is not super functional. So that was the, that was the like hindrance for me was just fit. Yeah. I feel like my takeaway, especially teaching and like interacting with people at the shop is people are always just afraid of something that is unfamiliar. Um, and so when they can see someone else who's like been doing it or like, I don't know, you watch someone else make it and you're like, okay, maybe that's a little less scary. So like even just becoming familiar mm -hmm. by watching someone else make something can be like a great way to overcome that hurdle. But yeah, I meet so many people that are scared of the dumbest things because it's just like, they've never tried. So my advice is always to just try. Yeah. I'm I'm excited by this episode. I was telling Avery earlier in one of our meetings where I'm like, this is one of the episodes where I feel like I can be very honestly me because I don't know how to make apparel and I want to leave this episode knowing more. Where a lot of other episodes, they're always real questions. Like I'm not pretending to be anybody else here, but maybe I kind of know the answer or I want to allude to an answer a little bit more for the listeners. But here I'm just gonna be like, Avery, I can very much legitimately ask him like, what is a project I should work on? Because I have no idea. <laughs> so Jameson's here we'll... for the shorts. Yeah. Yeah. You exactly. will leave today. Go <laughs> make a pair of shorts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait for the, uh, wait for the pick in a few days. We'll, uh, Avery will send that, but, uh, the actual question on the outline here, um, is what do you do when you have just like a rainy day in or whatever, and you're hunkered down at a sewing machine? What's like one of your go-to projects or one of your favorite things to make? I love pants. <laughs> I feel like I am like very petite, very short torso and have never had pants that fit. Mm. Uh, and then as far as making them goes, it's like very satisfying to work with those thicker fabrics to like really iron and steam them and then do all this top stitching. It's incredibly satisfying for me, but it also means I have like 15 pairs of jeans. Yes, right. literally. <laughs> so now next is going to be my partner. He's going to get. Oh, I, I've already been making my partner jeans because I've <laughs> run out of closet yeah. space. Yeah. Um, okay. Delaney has definitely spread the love of like fitted pants and jeans to me. I also love making jeans and the top stitching is really fun. Um, but my go-to would just be like knocking out some like underwear because it's really fast yeah. and it's like, and I know that I'll wear it. That's one thing too, that I feel like there's a huge crossover between the skills you use to like bind the edges of a bag with grow grain and then like fold over elastic on panties. It's the same thing. I don't know why, but I always go from making bag to then making some panties. Yes. Cause you've <laughs> just been doing, doing, yeah, you've been doing <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a Venn diagram I did not know existed. Yeah, oh yeah. I completely agree. They're just overlapped. Yeah, one's stretchy, one's not. That's the only yeah. difference. I can say that I feel like Francesca, you were one of the first people to me that kind of crossed over, and you know, I'm I'm on the ripstop page all the time, so it's lots of gear, and I think you were really one of the first people that I started sewing. I saw that started sewing apparel items, and I would tell my friends like. You did the me, the me made, me made, how, what is that called? She called, she called, okay, just we're the me made. We're the me made mayors. For anyone listening, that is how Avery exclusively Hashtag refers to us. We're the me made mayors. Yes. And I've told my friends, I'm like, 
you know, talking about sustainability and buying clothes. And I'll be like, there's this girl, Francesca, and she makes everything she wears. And then I'll be like, she even makes her own underwear. And that is like, that's like the cherry on top where people are like, okay, cool. She makes her own clothes. I'm like, she makes her own underwear, you guys. I make people really uncomfortable (laughs) because if someone's like, did you make everything you're wearing? I'm like, even my underwear. (laughs) You call them panties? Officially uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) That's a high risk. I love that. It's a high risk make. You know, like it gets. I don't think so. No one sees it. No one sees it. I mean, well, I mean, comfort. I mean, comfort though. Oh, We're like oh, a shirt. Like, if you can't lift your arms, that's slightly problematic. But like, if the fit's bad and underwear, like, you're gonna have a really bad day. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but on the other side of that is buying underwear. It's really hard to know, like, if it's gonna fit properly yeah. until you're yeah. home. And talk about one item that you can't return. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then even like making it yourself, it's like it's just really you get to be like this is my preference and i don't it doesn't need to look cute and i don't need to find like it doesn't have to have sparkles on it i just want my underwear to like <laughs> not give me a wedgie like, i don't know a quarter yard of fabric oh, like yeah. minimal fabric so you have and, like, like four yeah. t- attempts to, 30 to minutes get it right yeah, yeah. we've, taken this, yeah, we've really. taken this into underwear sorry y'all but I mean, I can no. make it about I can make it about gear because I have very specific underwear preferences <laughs> when hiking. Merino, merino exclusively. Delaney knows I have got strong feelings, and this comes up on Reddit all the time in the hiking communities. Ooh. Is what underwear do people take, especially on through hikes? Right, like you're not able to wash as often. If you do wash, it's in a stream. You need it to dry quickly. Like. There's a lot, you know, you don't want it to get smelly. And so underwear can be a gear item. It's like one of the favorite things I've made when I'm like hiking is my underwear is comfy and not smelly and it dries quickly. So I brought it back. It's about gear now. (laughs) No, I'm going to bring it even more back in full circle. So you've obviously shared a lot of different items that you both have made. Um, But Delaney, can you tell us? and describe to us the first apparel item that you ever made. Oh gosh, you're really asking me to take it back. So, okay, I started sewing when I was like nine, right? You have to remember this. And I only had Hobby Lobby to shop at. So I would get these terrible, terrible poly satins and make what I thought were like ball gowns inspired by my binge watching of Project Runway. And they were really just kind of glorified rectangles with like little ties at the side to like cinch it in. Yeah, that was like the first thing I made as a child. And then with getting into the indie sewing community, I think the first indie sewing pattern that I tried was the Yanta overalls. Those are mine. Yeah. That was my first one too. Yeah, they ended up becoming shorts because I've cut it a weird length. I don't know. I Tell us about these overalls since you, since you both made them. Are they, are they like, you're just your typical overall? They're basic. They yeah. don't have any of okay. the, like, they're not super technical. I think it's like four pieces total. Well, if you're not counting the pockets. Oh, and then, yeah. And then, <laughs> I think the reason that makes it easy, there's no closure. There's no like zippers mm-hmm. or buttons. You literally okay. just like pull them on and it's kind of a looser fitting overall. And they don't have the hard, they have buttons. I guess you can use regular mm. overall hardware. Yeah. I used just buttons in a buttonhole. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's not like a 
ton of top stitching. There's no inseam pockets, it's patch pockets. And there's also like 4 million people that have made it oh, yeah. under the hashtag. So you can always read and get inspired by all the other yeah. people that have made the Enta overalls. And Helen's Closet does a really good job of very, like not only does she have good step-by-step -step instructions, she has explanations for why you have to do things. Mm -hmm. And mm. I know sometimes I get a little like, speedy and i'll be like i don't need to do that i can skip this step and she'll have like a thought bubble that's like don't skip this step here's why like this is important i'm like okay helen like so it's helpful because it it's like she she's one of the designers that will really hold your hand through a new project um so i think that was a good one i also made the free range slacks elastic mm -hmm. waist pants are very good for beginners Mental there you go jameson i know i was just thinking <laughs> So I want to transition to tools. Um, for many people that are making gear, uh, you know, we have scissors, thread snips, maybe a bodkin, um, things like sergers come to mind. Are there any other pieces of, of kit or tools that come that are really helpful or, or important for making apparel? What's a bodkin? I think it's a, a safety pin. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. This is exciting. Um, <laughs> reverse learning yeah we get to teach you guys something <laughs> well this is new on the podcast we don't normally tell people what like teach them things uh a bodkin um let's see it's a it's a piece of flexible flexible elastic that you can feed a cord through a stone channel oh oh okay so sure. like on a so drop just... <laughs> yeah most okay, people just okay. use it gotcha yeah. okay yeah cool but they come in different uh, lengths. So like we have two that's like one like five inches, one's like eight inches, depending on like how big your drawstring channels and stuff. Yeah. It's we're very different. This is so Delaney and this I have is a great question this, to, to distinguish us. We've co-taught classes before at Society and I've been like, Oh yeah, like told students like, Oh, you should get this tool and Delaney's like, You don't can do it without tool. a tool. You don't need tools. <laughs> so now I'm gonna go home and look up a bodkin because a safety shoes. pin's not gonna do it if there's a tool designed for it. I always tell people that I don't own an ice cream maker and I just imagine you do, you know, I don't, but that's because I have a very small house. <laughs> if, if my kitchen was big enough and that's not even me, that's my partner. Yeah. We'd have every single appliance in the world. <laughs> that's a good distinguisher though. Yeah, I yeah. would own an ice cream maker. I mean, I think kind of circling back to the question, um, I don't know if there's like anything in particular that I would say, I know that surgers probably come up often um, and I definitely love having a serger. I think if you're planning on sewing apparel, it's a good tool to have. Uh, aside from that, I mean, I use my rotary cutter and mm -hmm. like self-healing cutting mat really often. Uh, I like to put my patterns on like the fabric and cut it out with a rotary cutter instead of pinning and using shears. Um, I also like to have two different like safety pin or not. Yeah. Pins. That was going to be mine pins. Uh, Cause some I like to use for like only my delicate fabrics and then my other ones, I can like really damage them yeah. by pinning thick layers of denim or whatever it is I'm pinning. And I think gear makers often don't have pins in their toolkit because wonder clips, like a lot of technical fabrics can't be pinned. Um, and so that would be one where pins can really be more integral for apparel making um but wonder clips will also do the job mm. agree to disagree <laughs> okay <laughs> i also think um i don't often chalk things when i'm making gear maybe i should maybe i should be marking stuff more jameson is chalk in your toolkit 
Um, I'm a <clears throat> Sharpie user, which is one so, of my so that's, flaws. Because yeah, no. for for laminates, it just doesn't matter. Like it comes out in the seam allowance so easily, and that like just doesn't. There's no there's no downside for us, and especially this is going to hurt a lot of people. And I feel bad when I say it. Just the amount of fabric around here is foolish. So like if I get a Sharpie line over one other thing, like I don't, I have a scrap in that I really try to save, but like, I don't think twice. I'm like, eh, it's got Sharpie on it. Who cares? We don't know what he does with the scrap in. It's, it's a mystery. It's just for him. But on the Sharpie thing, it's actually funny you mentioned that because someone messaged me like last week and they were making the trail running backpack from Learn MYOG. And there is a step in the instructions for that that says, with a Sharpie, mark the placement. And somebody had like sent it to me and like, can you believe this? Like use a Sharpie. And I was like, eh, it's common practice. Like, so chalk, I think we'll bring that back to don't, please, please don't use a Sharpie on your no apparel fabric. It will not come out. It will stay forever. Good to know. This is, this is my second note of the podcast. Um, drawstring Ooh, or elastic pants. To, I mean, maybe this wouldn't be kind of a tool, but more of a material, but I'm thinking about interfacing. I was going to say iron. Mm. So these oh, yeah, and iron as well. Because you don't iron most technical fabrics yeah. and then interfacing. Yeah. Do you want to explain? Yeah, interfacing is just like a fabric that you can iron onto your main fabric to like make a waistband stiffer or to keep like buttonholes from ripping like through the shirt. Um, so I use interfacing all the time. Same. And an iron to go with. My wife almost tried to, she tried to get rid of our iron this week. And I said, no, I'm really glad now. This is crucial. We haven't used it in like three years. So I was like, I might need it. And I knew I was thinking of something. I wasn't, but this is, this is a good, a good, you know, a way to blame that. That was the like peak COVID purchase that made me go shopping in like in person was that I did not have an iron or an ironing board. And I had made enough apparel by just finger pressing oh, and gosh. it does not work. And I tried to make bias tape that way. And I just vividly remember going to Walmart and being like, like, I haven't seen people in months. Like, <laughs> I need an iron. I want to say I haven't used interfacing in a really long time and I don't have an iron. But when I do have to use one, when I'm sewing or need to press something or, I don't know, crease grow drain, I use my hair straightener and I love it. It's great. Rulo temp. I mean, I'll always test it, you know, before you use it on anything because those things get really hot. But yeah, dual purpose. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we also need to note that like don't use your partner's hair straightener if you are listening to this episode and want to dabble in apparel making. That's a good, that's a good <laughs> distinction. Just thinking about who might be listening to this episode. <laughs> get permission before you destroy hair products. Get an iron. Just get an iron. <laughs> So if someone doesn't have a serger, um, what are some tips and tricks that someone could use for making apparel on a home sewing machine? I know one of the biggest barriers to entry a lot of the time is people think that they have to have a serger to be able to make um, whatever it is that they want to make. Yeah, you definitely do not have to have a serger, but I think about three or four makes in, you're going to be looking through your classifieds for a serger. Um, but that being said, there are lots of other techniques that you can use. I really like using French seams or flat felled seams if I'm not going to be surging. Um, I also tell people in my classes that you can use a zigzag stitch over the edge of your fabric. 
But if we're being honest, that's like not nearly enough to keep Mm -hmm. your fabric from fraying. And it also causes your fabric to like get really wobbly and stretched out. So it takes longer too. Yeah. I would say either kind of level up and learn how to do French seams or flat felt seams or bias bound seams. Um, or just like find a serger that you can use. We rent out like sergers at my shop. And I also think the library- We're sitting in a library right now and there is a serger for use. Um, I would also add um, pinking shears, which when I made, um, I forget which, I made something with the Taslin that you guys just released. And I had to go back afterwards and take it in a little bit. And it was like kind of a weird spot to surge because it was already constructed. Um, and I just grabbed my pinking shears and that actually worked fine. It's, it's again, it's not as good, but in a pinch it will work. And I think we're both kind of team. Like if you want to make apparel, it's worth the investment for a serger. Yeah. I also think sergers can be really intimidating for people. I, they think it costs, you know, thousands of dollars. They look at those four spools of threads and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'll never learn how to do this. Um, but the like modern sergers are actually super user-friendly. They're very easy to thread with like a million YouTube tutorials mm-hmm. on it. Uh, and it's not nearly as like scary or expensive as it seems on the outside. And if you look on classifieds, a lot of people take up hobbies that they don't stick with. Especially and during pandemics. Especially during pandemics. And there might be sergers up for cheap. I was just going to say the exact same thing. Um, but to that note as well. Um, library is a super great resource and also, um, in one of our past episodes with Heath on, um, the sewing machine rating system, he also gave the hot tip of Goodwill, like shopgoodwill.com. I like, you know, 3am and can't sleep. I just like do a little browse, uh, a little like fake shopping. And there's always a serger, always there's a brother online Goodwill. There. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh Goodwill. Has yeah. And it's like. It's a big time suck and it's amazing. Yeah. So we'll add all of these links, anything that's mentioned in the, in the show notes, but yeah, those are great. And check, check local fabric stores because yeah. they're definitely coming up in a lot of cities. Um, and you might find that you can like society does studio hours. So you can come in and use the machines in the shop mm-hmm. and, um, that is also a really helpful resource if you don't want to commit. Or to also one. like phone a friend that yeah. might have a serger in Salt Lake. We have a really quickly growing community of makers that are constantly connecting with each other through mm-hmm. the social events we have. And I feel like it'd be so easy to like find someone who owns Definitely. a serger and be like, Hey, you know, should we do a wine and surge night? <laughs> you mean sip and surge? <laughs> but I wanted to make sure you <laughs> knew it was wine that I'm drinking. <laughs> she is not drinking tea while she searches. No. <laughs> we have like a cheat sheet that helps people understand what the, what to look for in a sewing machine when they're at Goodwill and at a place to find it. Um, what, like, what would you say are some of the things to look for in a serger? I, I don't even know enough to ask, like, does it have different stitch types and like all the different features or lack of features that you need in a home sewing machine? What, what do you look for in a serger or can people just kind of trust most sergers that they find? I don't really think that there's like, so there's not different like stitch settings. I would say make sure that you can like make sure there's like a pedal included or if you, if there's not one, you can like quickly find one online mm-hmm. for, you know, however much. Um, but as long as like the components are there, usually they'll run, I think pretty well. Thankfully, sergers are not 
computerized. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot less, mm -hmm. there are a lot less features that you need to consider. Um, I know when I bought my serger, I was like wooed by, you know, you could do one needle, two needle, three needle. It was like, they were trying to advertise like all the different types of stitches you could do. And, um, I did buy my serger new and I did regret it because like two weeks later I saw one on Craigslist and was like, Oh, that would have, that's cheaper. And it does the same thing. I almost exclusively just use the basic overlock stitch on my serger. Um, and every once in a while I'll see someone like, use a fancy feature and do like a, a rolled hem or a whatever it's called. And I'm like, yeah, my surgery can do that, but that's not what it's for. <laughs> like I just need it to finish the end. Honestly, my parents got me my first surgery when I was 12 years old. And I don't know if they knew that there was like a moving blade and needles and oh, yeah. they were just like, here you go. Merry Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah. I will say for machine maintenance, um, since Delaney mentioned the blade, it is helpful to replace the blade. If you notice that it's dulling, it, is not frequent, like every few years probably. And I sew a lot. Like my serger gets used a lot. And I think I've replaced the blade once in three years. And it was because I also maybe didn't take the pins out. Pin. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and you do want to use different thread. Um, so you can use regular all-purpose thread, but you'll run through it very quickly because sergers use a lot of thread. So buying the maxi lock or... Peterman also makes a serger thread. Yeah, it's a big cone. Um, and that's just, it's more, it's cost efficient and you're not going to have to replace it as often. Um, and then my other tip is for apparel making, buy neutral color thread. So I keep like off-white and black and brown. Delaney loves brown. We I need to brown. have some brown. Um, but I have friends who will buy, like, they'll make one project out of, like, neon orange. And they'll buy four spools of neon orange. And you'll never go through all of that. <laughs> you can also get rainbow surge thread. And it, like, variegates yes. as it goes. Okay, you should get that. Customers yeah. get that. I, I do. Yeah. Um, but I, I, the sticking with basics is a helpful reminder that you don't need to have matching thread. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I think that's another, that was daunting for me. Mm -hmm. I thought that if I bought a serger, every new project, I'm going to need to buy four giant cones of thread in that color. That is just not, that's not the case. I have one more question since we're on it about sergers and tools and the things that you need to look for. Um, are there any different feet that people would need to buy to go with their serger? Are we just using a standard presser foot? No, I bought an I bought an elastic foot. Do you have an elastic foot yes, for yours? And I've never used never used it, it either. <laughs> no, okay. you don't need to. Yeah. yeah, they make different feet, but for what I use my serger for, I hardly ever slash never yeah pull them out. And what I I mean, that's a good thing to comment on is like, what do we use our sergers for? Because I mean, I mostly use mine to finish my seams. The exception is with knits, also mm -hmm. my knits with a serger, because you can basically adjust what's called the differential and get it so that your fabric isn't stretched out as you're sewing. It's not it. wavy. Oh. Yep. And so um, same thing with me. I, all of my knits, if you look at the construction, I don't stitch it on my main machine, like at all. You can make a knit t-shirt 100% on a serger. And you also can make a knit t-shirt and not worry about finishing your seams on a sewing machine yes. that has a zigzag stitch. So it kind of works both ways as far as knit fabric goes. 
So from tools to let's kind of transition to techniques. Um, for somebody starting out with apparel, I, I have this whole, I have to like preface every question because I work with Carter. And if I'm not remarkably concise with him, he's like, well, it just depends. I can't answer your question. Um, so with people starting out and like beginner level projects, whatever that would be, maybe a t-shirt, what are some basic techniques that they would need to know to get going on, on that project? So a straight line. <laughs> Backstitch. Backstitch. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, I meet some quilters that transition to apparel sewing and they're not used to backstitching. I don't know if it's mm. the same thing with gear. I always backstitch. I always yeah. So that's something that people might need to know. Um, I also think people can really get tripped up like reading different verbiage that means all the same thing. Like a pattern might say top stitch or edge stitch, and that all just means that you're sewing on top of your fabric where the stitching will be visible. Um, so maybe that's another one is top stitching and basting. Basting, which you do baste sometimes in gear, but that's just using a long stitch that you can rip out if you need to afterwards. Um, I also think that you can't play fast and loose with seam allowances quite as you can't I say that because I you're, you really can't do that with gear either especially if you're sewing curves especially if things aren't gonna like if you need things to line up at the end but I've definitely seen some beginner um myog projects that are just like meh like I didn't really pay attention to the seam allowance like I just sewed the end um but with apparel most especially if you're using a pattern patterns are designed to either most include a seam allowance they'll tell you um, and if you start ignoring that, you're going to end up with a pretty drastic fit difference. Um, there's wiggle room. Like you don't have to be super precise hundred percent of the time. Right. But, I mean, the seam allowance is usually five eighths of an inch for apparel fabrics, yeah. which is pretty big. And yeah, you've got space to make an error, but I, um, I taught kids sewing summer camp and I've taught some adults that remind me of the way that the kids approach apparel sewing and they'll just be like, Meh, I forgot. Like I wasn't paying attention to like what I needed to sew. And your sewing machine has, most of them have guides that say like quarter inch, three eighths, five eighths. Please follow that. <laughs> I also think kind of coming back to techniques, um, it, that like stay stitching can be important mm -hmm. there. Like, especially I picture someone who's only ever worked with like a tech fabric moving over to like a beautiful washed linen, <laughs> like they behave very differently, right? Like linen is shifty and there are certain things you can do to make sure that like your neckline doesn't grow four inches while you're making the shirt or dress or whatever. Um, so stay stitching would be that. And it's just like a line of stitching that goes around the neck to kind of hold that shape while you're working on constructing it. And pin. That's a technique. For the love of God, just pin. pin, put pins. <laughs> put more pins than you think. And please put the pin where the seam will go. Yeah, sometimes Cody, my partner, will like get a whim to sew with me. And his saying is no pins, all grins. And it really stresses <laughs> me out. <laughs> like shortens my life every time he says that. And press your seams. And this is, I mean, the it it it, it depends with whether you're working with a natural or synthetic fiber, about whether or not you can or should press your seams. Um, but usually you want to do something to your seam, even if you're working with a fabric that you, um, can't press or that you shouldn't press on high heat. 
um, there's usually a step before you move to the next one just to kind of flatten that seam out and like allow the fibers to kind of set. set. What are some other techniques for prepping and pressing synthetic fabric specifically? I know that you work with a lot of different fabrics and they all have different care instructions, but um, I know that synthetics might be a little bit different. So how would you treat those if you're using a synthetic fabric to make apparel? I'm going to answer your question, but prepping made me remember that you need to pre-wash fabric because a lot of apparel fabric will shrink after you make it. And even some synthetics will. And also, I mean, y'all have been in the ripstop by the roll warehouse. I don't know how clean those like big rolls of fabric are. And if you want them like touching your body very closely. Um, so that was just one thought that popped into my head as far as a technique um, is that you do need to pre-wash your fabric. And I even pre-wash, like I pre-wash fleece when I use the, um, alpha direct and alpha wool. And I, I pre-wash literally everything that I use to make apparel. I play fast and loose with synthetics. No. <laughs> On the note of pre-washing, cause this gets asked a lot. What are your, what are your settings on your washing machine that you're using when you're pre-washing? I think that that depends on the fiber that you're using. Most fabric stores are also going to have like a recommendation. Um, but I also advise people to like kind of bully your fabric the first time. For example, like Ooh. Cody and I do all of our laundry with cool water and low temperature in the dryer. But when I am pre-washing my fabric, if it's a cotton or a linen or a rayon, well, probably not a rayon, but cotton or linen, I'm going to wash it hot and dry it hot. That way I don't end up with a shrunken pair yes. of pants after my bachelorette when Cody decides to do the laundry. My yontos, <laughs> those first, those first overalls, they were so loose. I had to go back and I had to add a zipper because Kevin washed washed everything on high and now I do the laundry. Um, I, yeah, so I do, I'm so lazy washing a lot. Like I cannot wait if I want to start a project, like I am not waiting for the like delicate wash cycle that takes an hour and a half. Like that is not happening. I do the like quick wash on cold water and low heat, or I just line dry outside. But what Delaney was saying, I also do that. So if I'm working with um, linen, cotton, and some merinos, depending on like, like usually it's like hiking clothes. If I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to like choose the nicest setting, if I'm like in town to wash, I'll just kill it. Right. But like I'll buy extra and I'll wash it on like warm. I'm not going to go to hot for merino. That would just, that's sacrilege. I'm not, no, but I'm just saying like, like do wash pre-wash it in the worst case scenario so that your garment is still going to fit you after you've constructed it but i also think going like just like do a little bit of research with whatever fiber you're yes. working with because if you wash your silk at all it's not going to come out well you know mm. or like if you she told me that like a few weeks ago <laughs> yeah like there are certain fabrics that you cannot wash on hot or it will ruin the fabric um gotcha. so that's why i always advise like do the research for that fiber and what would you say in terms of pressing them? I know one question we got specifically after we released the nylon Taslin was how to release the wrinkles because they did pre-wash it and it was still a little crinkly and maybe you wanted it flatter. So how would you go about that? You can press nylon. Um, low temperature, no steam. 
And I applied, um, like I've applied interfacing to nylon. I make a lot of uh, brimmed hats with Taslin um, and I'll interface, well, sometimes I used to interface the um, front panel just for extra structure. Um, you can do that just, and I'll usually use a press cloth between my iron and the fabric. Nylon's not as likely to kind of melt the way that polyester will. Um, I usually don't press polyester at all, but I don't work with polyester at all. So I would also say like catch it right out of the dryer and then you won't have wrinkles to worry about pressing out. It's like my least favorite thing to press three yards of fabric. So I'm always at the dryer Mm -hmm. when I hear it singing. And making your own apparel, like it has changed my laundry game a lot. Um, And I'm also a lot more like possessive of the laundry of like, nope, like I know the settings I want to wash it on. I know what goes together. I put... I don't wash clothes as often, just period. Like I don't wash clothes after everywhere. I do like underwear, socks, like a few items. Uh, but for the most part, if you're working with high quality fabrics and you're taking care of them, like they can last multiple wears before being washed. Um, and I do my best to line dry like everything that I can just because it'll extend the length of the garment, any garment, any fiber. It just is better to reduce the time that your clothes are spending in the dryer. I want to ask about finishing techniques a bit more. We've mentioned it, but um, yeah, I, I don't even know what that means if I'm going to be honest. I don't <laughs> so, so let's start there. For people that don't know what finishing a garment would look like. Okay, so fabric phrase. Um, some some fabric, fabric phrase. phrase. And if you've ever like ripped a hole in pants and then you see like the holes getting bigger and bigger and you can see all the threads, like that's fraying. Um, And so finishing fabric or finishing a garment is just referring to the way that you are enclosing the raw edges, very similar to sewing gear. Um, And so I know- You're just not using grow grain. You're just not using grow grain. You can use bias binding, works very similarly. Mm -hmm. You can use foldover elastic for some- finishing if you're finishing like an arm or a sleeve of a shirt or something like you could use a fold over elastic which would be really similar but that's the idea is it's just um preventing like fraying Mm -hmm. so similar to how we would do like binding or taping you're just finishing the raw edge and then for that's where surging comes in for some projects you can surge to uh finish it you can put bias tape are there what are other popular ones uh, yeah, I kind of mentioned these earlier, um, but I used the like technical term, so it probably went a little bit over everybody's head because there's ways least, that you yeah. can <laughs> sew a seam. Like there's something called a French seam where you sew the seam like wrong sides together and then you flip it and sew it right sides together so that the raw edge ends up in your seam. So that's gotcha. one way that you could finish yeah. a seam. For gear makers, the translation, um, if you've made like a tent, a lot of tent construction uses French seams mm-hmm. um, to enclose the rudge. So, and then flat felling. Yeah. Also, some gear uses flat felling, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. uh, where you basically sew it wrong sides together with the five eighths inch seam allowance. You trim that one of the seam allowances down to a quarter inch, and the taller one basically goes like up and over and down and gets sewn down along the edge. That's most common with like workwear. So you see a lot on jeans or jackets. In seams, if, you, if you're wearing like high quality denim, not even high quality, honestly, like yeah. most denim, um, if you look at the inseam, 
and it'll it'll probably be a flat felt seam. And then if you don't know what a serger looks like or like what a serge seam looks like, take a look at the clothes that you're wearing right now and flip it upside down. Look at like the side seam of your shirt and you'll probably see um, it's kind of a unique pattern. It like crisscrosses over itself. I'm waiting for you to just. I know. I want to be like, my next seam. She's not French. We have examples. We're not, you have bias binding on the yeah, inside. Yeah, I, I oh, we both do. We both have bias binding on our necklines. I don't French seam because I'm lazy. I'm very French. She's very French and fancy. <laughs> so that was kind of one thing I was picking up on to your point, Francesca, that it, from the outside, outside being like someone that hasn't made apparel, um, from like sewing or sitting on a sewing machine to like being at the sewing table prepping, it seems like for the, uh, on the apparel side of things, you spend more time than in the gear world on like the prep table than at the sewing machine. Is that true? Yeah. How quickly do you cut out fabric for gear? Because that takes me forever. If I'm working, okay, I especially... Guess I, I guess I'm thinking of those as the same. As like, if you're cutting out panels, then it's like the same. But once you get past like the cutting panels sure. or having your panel set up. I mean, I feel like with sewing apparel, there's like this flow to it where you sew, finish your seam, press. Sew, mm-hmm. finish your seam, press. So mm-hmm. it... Yeah, I have a roller chair in my sewing room so I can roll between my pinning table, my sewing table, my iron, because it is like a lot more repetitive, like in a flow way that way, maybe. The rolling chair was my second upgrade after going to Walmart (laughs) and buying the iron and ironing board is I too got a rolling chair because I was like, especially like going between the two machines and stuff. You know, I'm active enough already. I don't need to be active when I'm sewing. Sewing is my downtime. That's, that's kind of a, a nice visual, actually, like that kind of, I don't know what the, how many steps it would be, like kind of like a three-step dance. So between like, do like sewing that and then I don't remember what you said, but kind of like, this is going to be the circle that you work, that you work within. So finish press. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is like what can take you also into like a flow state of creating mm-hmm. when you're sewing mm-hmm. apparel is it is repetitive in this like three-step cadence um, with exceptions, obviously, but yeah, you totally get into like this flow of mm-hmm. making apparel by doing those three steps. That's that's encouraging um, to me or for the the person that I'm speaking about that <laughs> doesn't know anything about making apparel. Your friend. Um, future, future Jameson who makes a pair of shorts. It's yeah, encouraging yeah. to him. Future me. It's encouraging to that guy because I think that's what I like about making gear. And for me, I'm in a place now with gear that that is kind of like I can get to that flow state, but with making apparel, it's so new that there's no flow, right? It's just like every single step is super involved and super like, well, I could mess it up and not have a pair of shorts anymore after three hours of work. You know, there's, there's that fear. Yeah. I also was just kind of thinking about how it is also so much easier to seam rip fabric mm-hmm. when it doesn't leave a permanent mm-hmm. hole. Yes. And yeah. a lot of apparel fabrics are that way. Like when I'm sewing with denim, you can sew it and seam rip it like 15 times oh, yeah. before it gets its feelings hurt. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> it's pain in the butt to seam rip uh, surging though. So just be warned. I was going to say on that note, Jameson, that like the first pattern I made, the one that I couldn't lift my arms up, <laughs> I made that pattern. I think I made it seven times, like that pattern. Oh, yeah. And that was actually really helpful because I had to stop and Google, like I did not know what the terms meant. And so I had to Google like, what is bias tape? What is bias binding? How do I do this and that? And the other thing, like I was, I spent so much time on YouTube. Um, and it was really nice, even though it was not the best pattern it was really nice to make it multiple times so that I could feel that sense of success. 
And I vividly remember the next project that required bias binding. Um, and I read that term and I was like, I know how to do this. Like, I don't have to stop and YouTube it. Like, I know what I'm doing. And so um, pick something that is preferably not like a fabric hog, like pick a smaller project right. um, and make the same pattern several times because it'll help build confidence. And then when you do finally get that finished garment that fits the way that you want to, that's properly constructed, that's not fraying at all the seams, like that is so empowering to be able to like go out in the world and be like, I made this. I, like, I also think, yeah, that's definitely advice that I give in all of my classes. It's like, okay, we made this thing. Now go make it again on your own. Um, and I also think with apparel sewing, it's really unique because you can make your pair of shorts in a linen and then you can make that same pair of shorts mm -hmm. in a denim and you can make that same pair of shorts in a different fabric. Mm -hmm. And every experience is going to be slightly different. And every pair is going to look like a completely different pair of shorts, even though it's the same exact pattern. So I'm definitely a compulsive remaker. Yeah, and I think Francesca's yeah. too. They're kind of like the like the studying flashcards of making stuff. It's like remaking the same thing, just like getting your reps in for like mm -hmm. whatever oh, yeah, your test is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I brought that up. I hated school, but I guess it's just <laughs> Francesca being the, the, <laughs> the doctoral <laughs> candidate put me in the education mood. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about some fabrics. We have released a couple new ones recently, uh, two new apparel fabrics to us, ones that both of you have worked with. I first want to talk about the nylon Taslin subplex. What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? Francesca, I think you got your, your hands on that one. How did it sew? Just kind of tell, tell us what you thought. Um, so Taslin is some of my favorite like fabric for um, shorts, hats, and um, like bags in like bags, like about town bags, not like purses <laughs> or like a fanny pack, not like a technical bag. Um, I used, yeah, so I used your Taslin to make, I think I've made three pairs of shorts out of it. And it's really, it's really similar to the Patagonia baggies, which is just, I personally love like loose fitting shorts when I'm hiking, um, especially during the summer when it's super hot and it's super breathable. Um, it dries super quickly. So like you can jump in a lake, which is my personal vice. <laughs> if I'm near a lake, I will jump into it. Um, Tulane was pressured into this a few months oh, I ago. I went lake swimming last weekend. Okay. You're coming I around. I just didn't bring clothes into the lake. <laughs> <laughs> there were people around. I was trying to <laughs> be appropriate. Um, but yeah, so, um, I, I really like it. And then as I mentioned earlier, like the Taslin can be pressed. Um, and so I've applied interfacing to it. I have, I've had to press it to make like welt pockets. Um, and so I, I made two pairs of, I've made three pairs of the Learn MYOG Dias. He told me recently I was saying it wrong. I think it should be called Dias shorts, but it's Dias, <laughs> according to Tim. Um, the Dias shorts, and they've got welt pockets that have to be interfaced before you can um, do it. And I, that fabric doesn't have stretch, right? So it's like much more. It has stretch on the bias. Oh, okay. Okay. So it, well, yeah, but it doesn't have stretch. Yeah. So it, it um, it's easier to work with. You've also, I mean, you've worked with Yeah, Tazlin. I've sewn with Taslin before, just not the new one that you guys have come out with. And I feel like it's pretty stable to work with and, like, can come out really clean looking. Mm -hmm. And I really, I think it's, you can make fitted clothes with it too. Um, I made, I've made, like, elastic waist shorts. Um, and they're just, like, 
it's really comfy. They're my go-to shorts. I brought some of them. <laughs> I was like, I was like going through, I was like, I, I think I've made at this point, like probably between me and my partner, like eight pairs of Taslin shorts, oh because that is just what we hike in all summer. Um, and it will always be my go-to. It's great. Very random question here. What do you think both of your outputs are of like projects that you sew per week? Don't we're Don't okay. We are not the appropriate people to ask this yeah. question to. You're talking I feel like to you're like, the best people to ask. <laughs> I, we're probably, but we're like, we don't have kids. Yeah. We have like disp disposable income, yeah. access to fabric, access to patterns. I don't know. We're, we're definitely in like, we are unique cases and we're probably among yep. the most prolific apparel sewists like I, that I, I know of. I know of. Um, yeah. So I don't like answering that question because it makes me feel, <laughs> um, I will say that I live in a small house and there is no closet space left. And my partner and I are actively reckoning with that because I've also made all of his clothes. Um, I, I make, I probably make at minimum like one thing a week. Yeah. I think it also depends on like how involved a project is. Mm -hmm. Like a jacket will mm -hmm. take me, you know, a couple days to work on or a week if it's like really involved. But if it's like a t-shirt, I could make one a day and call it good. You make or batch sew them. Yes. Yeah. Like I'll knock out um, t-shirts in particular. Like I'll just cut four or five of them and knock them all because they're constructed the same way. I also think that that comes down to what we were mentioning earlier about re-sewing a pattern. Like most of the time I'm not looking at the instructions. So that speeds up everything a lot sure. because sure. I don't have to read anything. Mm. And, and I like really want to emphasize, like we don't have kids. Yeah. We have partners who help. We have chickens and cats. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, we both we have chickens and cats. <laughs> yeah. And partners. Yes, I and partners. I asked that question, uh, not to make anybody feel bad, to make myself feel better because I get teased around here for sewing too much or just like having way too many projects. So it's really for me, but also just for other people to be, um, to be inspired and, and, uh, but not, not have a comparison that they have to match what you right. all are sewing at all. Um, uh, but just to use that to be like, oh yeah, there's, there's all, there's, there's all sorts of things that you can make. And there's plenty of, um, people that can help you do that, I guess, um, to think about it that way. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm glad to know that. Although mine not apparel at all, so it's not not the same. But I am uh, comforted knowing other people are sewing just as much as I am. <laughs> Isaac and I have something we called like we call it morning pouch, where just like if we cannot focus on whatever like spreadsheet or like you know menial computer thing we want to do, we'll just just go sew as like a refresh. Like okay, like make this little pouch or like start this yeah. backpack or start this but project Jameson, and then like get back to the computer. Picture morning panties. <laughs> Game well, changer. When you said start on something that's easy and start on something that's not going to take too much time, you can make over and over again. I'm like, I don't, I guess I have to start making myself panties. Like that's the only way I can get into apparel easily. <laughs> I, ju I, I just started making um, boxer, merino boxer briefs. Did you know that those cost like 50 bucks? I was so, I, do. I had strong feelings. <laughs> Um, yeah. and we, like my partner and I just hiked the Highline trail and we were trying to figure out like the best underwear. And we've like both tried out the like, um, ex officio give and go. I've got feelings about like yep. quality over time. Oh, um, and I, I was like, Marino. <laughs> yeah, no. And the, that's the thing that was like, that's why I was saying underwear is gear. Cause when you go, like yeah. you go on the ultralight subreddit every three days, there is a post about underwear without fail. Yeah. 
Um, and so then being able to say like, okay, well, instead of spending 50 bucks a pair on this underwear that like we're ordering online and I don't know if it's going to fit my partner. I don't know if it's going to like ride up or be uncomfortable. Like underwear is such a personal preference. I was like, all right, this is what I'm doing today. Like let's <laughs> knock out some boxer briefs. And it cost me like maybe $20 of fabric. Like I think I used one yard yeah. of Merino. Okay. So Merino is more expensive. If I'm being honest, it was like 40, but still that's less than one pair. Right. Yeah. I need to talk to Kevin about that. Cause I've been <laughs> on a, a personal uh, adventure of finding the right boxers anyway, which I will not get into now, but this is helpful and inspiring. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll get you guys in touch. And... Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, back to somewhere on the outline, wherever we were. <laughs> Uh, fabric. Uh, let's talk about 5.2 Airwave, uh, one of our newer fabrics with a bunch of stretch. And Delaney, you got to work with that. Tell us about it. Yeah, I was really surprised when it first showed up because it was a lot lighter weight than I was expecting and like very comfortable and kind of like breathable on the skin. Uh, so I ended up using actually an indie sewing pattern to make a pair of like elastic waist joggers, basically. Um, that I use for climbing and backpacking. And then I just modified the pattern to kind of suit my outdoor preferences. Uh, there's normally like certain pockets that I didn't add. And then instead I added a thigh pocket because when I'm climbing that harness always hits in just the wrong spot for like a slant pocket. Um, and then I did like a cinch cord at the cuff of the pant. But the fabric itself was super fun to work with. Um, I definitely like interfaced areas where I was going to be doing like a zippered welt pocket. Um, but other than that, like it was very easy to work with. I did use a stretch stitch so that my pants can still stretch with like the fabric. So I just did like a slight zag zigzag basically to kind of accommodate that. And then I just surged my seams and yeah. But yeah, it's held up really well too. I was a little nervous because I took them rock climbing and I am like, I, I love the rock. Apparently I'm very aggressive. I'm all up on it. And I was like convinced I was going to be like wearing a hole through this, like really lightweight, breathable fabric. And instead I was like pretty pleasantly surprised that I didn't have any tears. Um, and I've used them a lot too for hiking, which has been great. So, so that fabric, um, what you may already know, but for people listening is an ATY air textured yarn as someone that works with a lot of apparel fabric. Uh, we use that line specifically because of the feel. How would you, I mean, not everyone knows what ATY is and I know what the definition is, but I couldn't tell you like what the difference is like for someone that works with a lot of fabrics. How would you explain what that feels like? And if it was good and how, like, what would you compare other fabrics that people might know about uh, to the, the air texture, the airwave? That's a good question. I feel like, so the Airwave has kind of this grid that is a little bit more textured. I don't know if there's like a fabric that I work with in the apparel sewing world that would be similar, like maybe a lighter weight cotton, like twill, but twill has a more of a diagonal weave, whereas this has more of a grid weave. The, um, the grid is pretty unique. Yeah. I, I think texturally it feels kind of like some knits, just like uh, if you're looking at a knit that only has like 30% stretch, um, it definitely like, it feels more like a knit to me than like a rip stop. Um, but I, um, if you go to REI, like there are some, um, pants that definitely have like a similar, very subtle grid on them. Um, and actually when I like posted a close up picture of it, a lot of people were like that, that that's reminiscent of like, 
these shorts I once had that were really nice, like a nice feel. And I haven't been able to find that fabric. And it's like, it's kind of hard to put your finger on because it isn't quite like a lot of other apparel fabric that's out there. Yeah. And I like, as someone who works mostly with apparel fabrics, I really hate wearing synthetics. And this one actually breathes so well that it feels like you're wearing a natural fiber, um, but with like added durability and more quick drying factors. I also have strong feelings about synthetic fabrics. Um, And I will say I've actually worked with most of your apparel synthetic fabrics, like the Alpha Direct and the Polar Tech, like the Polar Tech line um, and the Taslin and now this, and they're like the exceptions to the rule. Mm -hmm. Cause I um, like Delaney have been hiking in my pants that I made out of it for several weeks now. And like, they're great and I will keep wearing them. So like, I also, Jameson, feel like I need to show this. I had leftover fabric and I made Cody a pair of trick shorts he specifically asked for them to be shortened oh. and have a side slit for well, mobility. Well, right. Okay. So I do have to show you pictures of that because it turned out so great. And he wore them, like he's been wearing them nonstop anytime <laughs> we've been like backpacking or he's starting yeah. to get into trail running, stuff like that. Oh, they're Yeah, they'd be really good. That was the, when I first touched the fabric. I was like, these are like ideal trail running shorts. And then I ended up going in the opposite direction and making like proper full length pants. Yeah, but I like the pants because I feel like it gives you a little bit of sun protection, bug protection, yes. and it's not unbearably hot. And on your note about uh, ripping, I am also like, well, I'm how she is with rock is me in every branch that falls on trail. I'm just like, come to me. Um, and uh, my partner did rip his hiking pants, his North Face hiking pants on our uh, Highline Trail hike. And I am a lot clumsier and a foot shorter than he is. So getting over those branches was not easy for me. And I did not rip my pants. So that was the like big win coming out of the hike is like Kevin had a giant hole on the knee of his hiking pants. And I was like, mine made it. <laughs> <laughs> let's uh, actually, let's get into that synthetic conversation. Um, a lot of people use some non-traditional fabrics, if you want to call them that, for some apparel items. And I was kind of curious about your experience with them, like sil polys, maybe sil nylons and like waterproof stuff. And we'll kind of run the gamut, but let's start with the waterproof fabric specifically. I feel like this is going to be your your ball game here. I made a list of all of the um, random things I've made with your not apparel fabrics for apparel. <laughs> Because I was trying to remember, and then as soon as we sat down, I was like, oh, there's more I had, like, not included. (laughs) Let's Um, hear it. So I made um, rain jackets out of the Sil Nylon and the Sil Poly. Um, And then I did, I seam sealed the Sil Nylon and took that with me on the High Line, and it rained every day, um, except for one. On the seam grip, like you did like the like the painting the seam kind of deal? Yeah, and I I was trying to buy tape, but I couldn't find it in time, and I had yeah. the seam grip, so it is like, it's not pretty inside, but it was functional. Um, and then I used, on those two rain jackets, I used monolite mesh for um, pit gussets, okay. because mm-hmm. the sil nylon and sil poly is pretty lightweight, so I didn't want to do pit zips, because I just thought that it would add too much bulk. Um, sure. And I also kept, both of them were under three ounces, and I, that was a goal of mine was to get like a very lightweight rain jacket. Um, and so I made, I used the Learn MYOG windbreaker pattern to make those rain jackets. And even though they're not breathable, the monolite mesh pit gussets do help 
And I just like, I try to either unzip it if I have to wear it when it's hiking, like if I'm hiking and it's raining, I'll try to get it kind of as unzipped as possible for airflow. Um, but then it also doubles really nice as just like a windbreaker or like extra layer at night bug protection. Um, I made, I used um, the one ounce Hyper D for a windbreaker. And then my fun one was I used the um, Noceum mesh, the five, what is it? Like 0.56 ounce Noceum mesh for a bug net hoodie that looks utterly ridiculous, but is highly functional. Um, so I think there's like, it's, you can definitely get pretty creative with all of these, um, other fabrics. And then the one that I did not personally use, but Palante, is that how you say it? I said it correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, they're using the venom mesh for the gusset of their new shorts, which is just like a very not like that, that threw me for a loop really when I saw it, but like, there's a lot of ways to use these fabrics for like non-traditional things. I could go on, but I think I've talked too much. Uh, the gusset in the shorts is definitely a really interesting concept. I think also Tim from Learn MYOG used the, um, that 5.2 ounce airwave in the gusset of his shorts on a pair he made recently. And when I was first thinking that I was like, that's like the venom is as a gusset, like, man, what you could start a fire with your legs. I, I don't really know like how <laughs> abrasion, like maybe when you're climbing over those blowdowns on the trail. But then I was like, I'm that girly who busts through lots, like eh, bigger thighs. They touch, you know, you jeans, things like that. And they end up wearing away. So I don't know if that's the same as like, that would be a gusset too. Right. Yeah. Would help the, the it depends. Yeah, it depends like what the structure of the like fabric is. But yeah. I mean, I know people that will sew like basically double up the inner thigh on a pair of jeans to help yeah. with like wearing. Mm. Yeah, I think that those are great tips and things to think about that I don't think about on a daily basis, but then encounter as like a problem in my daily life. So Um, I think that's totally the thing with like apparel sewing too, is you start to notice the things that annoy you about clothing or the things that like are unique to yourself and your lifestyle and your body that you want to adjust. And so then it becomes this obvious no brainer of like, why would I go buy that at the store when I could make it exactly how I want it to fit? Like my color preference, my lifestyle, all these things. Your short shorts with a high slit. Short shorts with a high slit. (laughs) So one thing I want to leave people here from this episode is having some sort of uh, action item that they can take away and kind of have inspiration to go with, mostly speaking to me and any other friends that feel like going out in this. Uh, what's the project that I should start with? Like, what's the most approachable with the most virtual techniques and fabric, knowing that I personally work at Ripstop and I can get my hands on anything that we have here? <laughs> I feel like the trig shorts. Yeah, I shorts. Perfect. So Does that the, yeah, count shorts. as boxers? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I would say maybe steer clear of stretchy fabrics okay. for just for the first like two projects, um, because you can definitely like you, I think knits are just like ever so slightly, ever so slightly more challenging to work with. And I say that with like a giant asterisk of like, 
knits are also like really easy to get a good finished product because they're stretchy. So like the fit is easier. You're just going to swear at your machine a little bit less along the way. Um, I would also say, seeing as you can get your hands on all the fabric at Ripstop, this is totally in like contrast to my comment about avoiding knits. Fleece is your friend. Fleece does not cooperate the same way that a lot of knits does um, because it's a little bit more structured. So if you were to grab some of that, like literally any of the fleece Mm -hmm. and like raglan, just make a hoodie. And then like, you know, you don't really even need to finish the seams all that well. Like you just throw it all together. If you make a boxy fit, like you could probably get away with a straight stitch, but I don't recommend it. um, If your machine doesn't have a zigzag, but I'd say trig shorts, just like elastic waist. I also think like pick a project that you're excited about and that like is beginner friendly with good instructions. I hear a lot of people that like go way too ambitious and just like find some random pattern on Etsy. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would stick to like a well-known, well-developed, like established indie sewing pattern company. Yes. If you're going that route. Uh, And Etsy is such a a crapshoot sometimes. And check hashtags too, because that's another thing is, um, you definitely want to see what the garment looks like on people's body. And ideally you're going to see it on bodies that look like yours. Um, and so there are patterns that I've looked at and I've just been like, I have not seen a single person under five, six, like wearing this. And I am very short. So it's like, what is that? What are the proportions going to look like on someone who's shorter? Um, or like, I don't have a large bust. And so, especially like wrap tops, like I've seen a lot of like design types that are really flattering on like bustier women and very like unflattering on people with flatter chests. And that is like, that's fine. That's like patterns are made for different bodies, but I like to look through hashtags on Instagram and see what it looks like on different bodies. And then that helps me figure out, um, what modifications I'm going to make or like if I'm going to have success with that pattern. That makes sense. So Delaney, what I hear you saying is that I shouldn't start out with my baggies full suit for like my Ventura California tuxedo. Not not quite. I I do want to see that eventually. Eventually, Yeah. Yeah. Maybe your second project. (laughs) After eight pairs of DS shorts. Um, speaking of patterns and you mentioned Etsy and I'm sure this will come into it, but how do you find and select a pattern when there are so many options? I mean, back in the day you would go to your sewing store or Joann's and you pull out the trays and you look through them. Now you, you just can still Google. do that. <laughs> yeah, you can still do that too, but the world has opened up with even more <clears throat> options from different places, um, that you might not know how they work or turn out um, because it's just posted on someone's random website. So yeah, how how do you, would you go about finding a pattern that you trust um, and selecting that pattern? Find your local fabric store and see what patterns they stock. Um, that is how I found a lot of indie pattern designers I had not heard of is Delaney had them stocked in her shop and I was like, thread theory, what's that? I like, I was also going to add because my website, I have like a page that lists a bunch of indie sewing pattern companies that we work with. And like you kind of touched on, I'm a very prolific sewer. So I have sewn a lot of different pattern companies and there are some that I vouch for. There are some that I don't use as often. 
Um, but I feel like I just have this catalog in my brain of, of like thousands of patterns that I've tried to put uh, like some of them onto a resource page on the like Salt Lake Society yeah. website. Uh, but then also like asking friends or like messaging people when they post about something and asking like, you know, if they had success or something as simple as like following the hashtag me made or like hashtag me made may you get to see so many posts yeah. and everyone, well, hopefully people are like tagging the pattern companies right. saying what pattern they're using. And if helpful. you are looking for, um, patterns that are designed more for like men's bodies in mind, um, a hashtag you can use is dope men. So, um, and so that is a hashtag. And then like uh, there, I would say like the me made may crowd is definitely a little bit more, um, leaning towards like people who are sewing bodies that may have been designed with women's bodies in mind. Sewing patterns. So, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I'm trying to work on my phrasing. That's what I was trying to figure out. Yeah. But like, just, um, if you are interested in maybe a different style or a different type, it's also really helpful to find a maker who fits that aesthetic and see what they're making um, and ask them. I definitely follow a lot of accounts just because I'm like, I want to be like you and yes. I am going to copy the things that you make. <laughs> no, I love all of those suggestions. And I know one thing that you and me, Francesca, I have talked about that I never thought about when looking at patterns is I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. How, if you're looking through patterns and you have lots of options, how would you know that maybe one pattern wasn't as developed as well, or the size grading wasn't as thoughtful or, or they didn't put much time into it or whatever the science is behind that. But how would you look at a pattern and distinguish like, this one, this person put tons of time into resources, grading, and this person just got on Photoshop and dragged the lines out an inch or whatever. This is, this is the hill I'll die on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ask Pat, like reach out to a designer and say, what is your background? Like, did you go, do you have technical training? Did you test this pattern? Like, did this actually go out to pattern testers before you released it? If so, what sizes were tested? Like, there should be transparency in that process. And uh, Delaney mentioned kind of offhand a minute ago of like, you go on Etsy and there are so many. So many. I don't. Like if a pattern costs $3, don't I don't trust it. it. You know, it's not worth your $3. <laughs> and that being said, I've paid $30 for a pattern that also was poorly graded and poorly developed. And I was very frustrated and vocal about it. Um, and so I think that like reading really reading posts of so blog posts or hashtags or captions um, to see what other makers are saying. Um, I know a lot of folks maybe don't share a ton of details for whatever reason, and that's fine. Um, I go the other way. And if I feel like if I, if I pay for a pattern and there is something that is like technically inaccurate or wrong with it, I share that information to help fellow makers be aware of like what they're getting into. But I also think that's the difference between like the bins that Joanne's filled with yes. the big four patterns and these indie sewing pattern companies, right? Is you can reach out to them if you have a question, if you have an issue, if something isn't making sense and a good pattern company is going to respond to you and say, oh, thanks for catching that. We'll fix this. Mm -hmm. Or like, here's how we're addressing it. Or like, it's actually supposed to be this way. And like, here's what you, you could do better. And if they do not post a picture 
anywhere in the description of the pattern of the like garment on a body run <laughs> on like four different bodies. four yes <laughs> yes i feel like you're giving me like all the tips and tricks of like how to spot a fake uh chanel bag or something <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I love that. And I do have one more question about patterns and I just thought of it. So, um, bear with me here, but I know that there obviously is like one simple method for printing out your patterns. And we talked about laying them versus using your rotary cutter versus pinning them down. I know that Francesca specifically has a very unique way of taking maybe a digital file that you did buy off Etsy that is credible and, getting started right away. So <laughs> I would love for you to share a little bit about your, your process for getting the patterns onto the fabric. If you don't mind, Francesca, She's doing everything she can and not say the word project. <laughs> <laughs> I was, as you were asking the question, I was literally saying like, don't talk, like let Delaney talk about printing patterns. No, project them. <laughs> project them. Um, so I <laughs> I use an ultra short throw projector that I bought off eBay used from a school district that was surplusing um, technology. And I um, digitally, I, so I, I edit my patterns using Inkscape, which is a free software similar to Illustrator. It has almost the same functionality as Illustrator, but it's free. Um, it's also open source, so you can download look to get to download cool extensions for it. Um, and then I just project directly onto my fabric so I don't have to print anything out. Um, and it also makes it a lot easier for me to make edits to my patterns instead of uh, having to like you know lay it all out on the table or on the floor and cut it and tape it and like make all of those adjustments. I can just do it digitally. Uh, it saves paper because I don't have to print anything out at any step of my process. Um, I even used my projector. I just made uh, two down quilts this summer. I made a single quilt and a double quilt. And I projected the baffle lines onto my, um, what fabric did I use? Guys, you know what fabric I used. My, I don't know the name of it. I just forgot. Was, was it the membrane 15? It was the 15. It was the, the yeah, it was the that one. Um, and I, sorry, I, but I projected, um, the baffle lines directly onto that on the floor. And then I didn't have to measure out the spacing. I was able to just super quickly mark the lines that I needed to attach the baffles on. So projector sewing is a game changer. It is, it seems like it has a really high barrier to access. That is not true. Uh, the amount of money that you will spend on ink or on printing services over the course of your hobby, it will add up. It is substantial. Um, and you can find projectors used on, you know, KS or on Craigslist or on eBay for under a hundred dollars. As long as you have, you buy one that matches your sewing space. So if you have high ceilings, you can get a normal projector. I don't. So I needed, um, a short throw totally like, and it did take me like maybe a total of like five hours to calibrate over a few days. But once I got it, it's last, like I've been going since December and not had to like reset it. Well, and it's so time efficient too, because you're skipping like four different steps and just getting right to the cutting outs. Right. And a lot of times those extra steps are a barrier to trying a new pattern. 
Um, like I did not want to tape a pattern together and I love remaking patterns, but sometimes I was like, man, like those pants look really cool and I'd like to make them, but I'm not printing 50 pages for pants and taping them together. And well, Francesca, all you have to do is open a fabric store, find a large format <laughs> printer, buy like hundreds of yards of A0 paper every month. And then you just have the pattern yeah. printing. I will say when you got the large format printer, I was like, I think I was in your shop every day for like a month. Yes. I was like, I just, <laughs> it's like half print shop and a half fabric store. Yeah. yeah. I know what Jameson, I would like to know what Jameson is thinking. And I think I'm putting <laughs> on the money, but I know he's going to go, Jason, we need a projector. You do. <laughs> do. It is a fact. Yeah. I mean, we have a 12 foot table with uh, 10, 10 and a half foot ceilings. And oh Yeah. I'm seeing good things on the in the oh, makerspace. <laughs> also think about like what it means for pro I'm so excited. Delaney is like <laughs> she's like, can you please calm down? <laughs> um, you know, I just I I read paper books. I know. I do. We there are some things where we are very different people, and this is one of them, and that's fine. Like you don't need a projector. You, do you. you don't need a serger, you don't need a projector, but if you get both, you'll be so happy. It's also just the, it's just the teacher in you. Just like everyone, you need to know this information. Um, but for prototyping, um, I've talked to a few different, uh, folks who have gear companies like cottage companies, and there's a lot of prototyping involved in getting the right pattern for, uh, your bag, or, you know, if you're putting out fleece hoodies or whatever it is. And if you have a projector and you can make those pattern modifications digitally and then immediately project and make make your next prototype, it's going to save you a lot of time. And it's also going to make that process a lot less painstaking um, because there's like Delaney said, there's just fewer steps between idea and outcome. Yeah. yeah. Like you actually get to get started quite a lot faster. I do want to make sure we plug the Salt Lake City Society. We've talked about it a ton of times, but would you tell people briefly what it is and where they can find more about that? Yeah, Salt Lake Society is based out of Salt Lake, Utah, um, and we carry a bunch of different, it's basically like a manifestation of my sewing practice. So we carry a little bit of lingerie supplies, swim supplies, denims, linens, lots of apparel fabrics, lots of knits, and it's usually like a smaller selection, um, but you know that everything that we carry is going to be like good quality for apparel sewing. And then we also do offer classes most evenings and weekends and Francesca helps teach with those, which has been fun. Um, so it's kind of become, I mean, it started just as a fabric store with classes and then has become really this community hub. Um, and we also do ship as well. So you can order from our website and we ship to Canada across the U S and internationally now. So. We, Avery and I have this thing that we jokingly call the rip stop by the Royal field trip where like we've talked to so many people and I feel like the society is fairly high on that list now compared to a lot of places where like, that's one of the places that like I follow you Delaney and normally people like want to come to rip stop, but like your shop is one of those places where I'm like, I need to go there one day. Well, it helps that we're like right at the base of all these granite walls that you could climb yeah. while you're here. Or ski, that's, or ski, or, like, or run, <laughs> or run, or hike. Salt Lake's amazing. Come, yeah. come. But also, here. don't tell anybody about yeah, it. Yeah, no, it sucks. <laughs> it, yeah, it sucks. Nobody. Uh, all right. The final, final question, I think, uh, is what is missing from the technical apparel, technical fabric apparel market? You get what I'm saying. Too many words today. <laughs> 
detailed instructions. <laughs> I hate YouTube videos so much. I'm sorry. It, it's true. If you're coming from gear making and try some technical apparel fabric or patterns, it'll feel familiar, right? It's kind of, we call it a choose your own adventure. Mm -hmm. um, if you try an indie sewing designer's pattern that has been very thoughtfully created with detailed illustrations, step-by-step -step explanations, it is a whole different universe. And I would love to see more overlap between the technical descriptions and technical and line drawings that apparel designers use um, in gear making patterns because it really I think it's it's leaving a lot of people out to dry who are like I'm trying apparel this doesn't make any sense I don't understand what I'm supposed to do and then they're like well I'm done I'm not going to try it again um, but there are patterns out there that will literally hold your hand and if you look at an indie designer's um, catalog and you look for their beginner patterns, like they are identifying it as a beginner pattern because they understand that like you need that handholding and they will provide it. Well, and I also think that there's like, I always love looking at style lines when I'm looking at a pattern, not just the picture that's being shown, because I feel like when you're looking through indie patterns, like maybe you're wanting the good instructions, but you want to make something with a tech fabric so that you can wear your pants hiking or whatever. Um, I would say look at those style lines because you don't have to buy a pattern and make it with the fabric that it's like shown in. So for example, with the airwave patterns, I used a pattern that was designed for like a cotton twill or it, it really is more of like a dress pant, to be yeah. honest. And instead, I just looked at like the line drawing, the drawing of the garment and said like, oh, this looks like the like kind of ease I want in the leg. It looks like I could add a cuff here to cinch this. Um, so just knowing that like, what you see is not always what you get. You can always kind of take those style lines and apply a tech fabric to it and make it work well. And I would also say, like, I think that there's been leaning towards like unisex apparel patterns. And I like the idea and I would like close to fit all bodies. I also recognize that all bodies are not the same and they have different curves and they have different needs. And um, looking, instead of being enticed by a unisex pattern, unless you really are just like making a box, then that's fine. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You can put a box on anybody. It'll be, it'll work. Um, really think about whether or not it was designed for your body type. Um, unfortunately, a lot of designers are still using gendered language to describe patterns. Um, and some are moving away from that language. So you can look for things like curvy fit or straight fit if your body is curvier or straighter. Or like bust and no bust options. Exactly. Um, so just keeping an eye on the intended design and like how they're describing it. Um, because a lot of that technical apparel that we're seeing right now is very advertised as unisex. And as someone who makes for my body and for my partner's body, and we fit like our bodies fit traditional gender like norms of I have more of a curvy body. My partner has more of a straight fit body, like unisex things fit him and they don't fit me. But I also think that depends on who's designing like the unisex pattern, yes. because if it's like a, a male designer designing the unisex pattern, it's going to be a male block that right. is used. So, um, and I will say there are some uh, technical apparel companies, designers that are um, producing what I think are high quality patterns with those things that I'm looking for. And I'm hopeful, like I'm seeing stuff 
in the sewing community of like new designers coming out of the woodwork who have technical training, professional experience, and are looking to make technical apparel. And one that comes to mind, they haven't released um, any apparel patterns yet, but I know that the designer behind it has technical training is Road Trip Pattern Co. So I'm looking forward to see what they come out with. Um, and then what I talked about last time on the podcast, uh, Pattern Adventure, they have some really high quality patterns and they include detailed step-by-step instructions with line drawings that um, will really help you navigate like, what you're making. I think future me will feel very inspired when I re-listen to this episode. And I hope I hope everybody else does as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it has nothing to do with my making experience, but I feel like we asked a lot of really good questions and I'm really, I, I'm excited to get more into apparel and uh, yeah. So all that to say, thank you so much for sharing a large chunk of your afternoon and going to find a library to uh, help future me make a pair of DS shorts. <laughs> you got this. It's been really such a treat kind of chatting with you guys um, and like crossing the bridge between apparel and tech sewing. I think that it's not as scary as people think. So if you sew apparel, try sewing a bag. If you sew bags, try sewing a pair of shorts. It's really not going to hurt you. And I just want to say, too, that when I think of people crossing over the apparel and gear, gear world, I literally, both of you ladies come to mind. So I also want to thank you for um, sharing your knowledge um, with us and also on your personal pages. And if you guys don't follow Francesca and Delaney, we'll drop their handles and the thing. But you guys both constantly are responding and answering questions and giving out so many like personal tips and tricks on your pages every day. And when Jameson asked, how many projects do you guys do a week? I was like, look, look at their Instagram, look at their stories. Well, that's it's why like I asked. That's why I asked. I was yeah. like, there's no way they post every single one. No. no. <laughs> no. Yeah. Some are just for me. Yeah. <laughs> They're secrets. <laughs>